In this report, among other things, there are allegations of visiting teams' headsets mysteriously malfunctioning during a game. And one team was so paranoid about the Patriots getting into their locker room that they bolted their locker room door during a game, which is against Foxborough fire codes. Originally, Spygate was believed to have been eight games taped between 2000 and 2007, but the National Football League's investigation, according to ESPN, was that the Patriots were involved in illegal taping of 40 games as opposed to eight. The league actually visited Foxborough Stadium. They were in a conference room and they grabbed the evidence and literally NFL employees stomped on cassettes of 40 games, literally stomping plastic pieces of the cassette on the floor. They then took notes that were accumulated by Bill Belichick's assistant Ernie Adams and they put them in the shredder. The report also cites former Patriot coaches saying that low level of Patriots employees would sneak into the visitor's locker room and steal play sheets so the Patriots would know what the first 15 to 20 plays would be from their opponent in that particular game. Walsh claims Belichick's contention that he just misinterpreted the rules was false and that the taping was actually a deliberate illicit scheme by the Patriots to cheat their way to victory. Two Patriots employees along with knowledge or assistance from Tom Brady tried to deflate footballs to seemingly give the Patriots a competitive advantage. Breaking news now from the NFL the quarterback, Tom Brady, will be penalized for deflate gate. Patriots cheat. They are going to suspend Tom Brady for the first four games of next season. They'll also fine the Patriots $1 million. The Patriots also will lose their first round draft pick in 2016, a fourth round draft pick in 2017. The NFL calling it conduct detrimental to the NFL. The Patriots were hit with a $1 million fine, the largest in NFL history, by the way. The, the largest in NFL history. Tom Brady knew and someone in the Patriots organization is trying to change the circumstances of on the field of play. The NFL releasing its Wells report saying that the New England Patriots more likely than not had some knowledge about that deflated ball in their AFC championship game against the Indianapolis Colts. The New England Patriots caught videotaping a rival team's coaches as they sent signals to their players. Visiting teams' headsets mysteriously malfunctioning during a game. The New York Jets can beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. The New York Jets. I think Jet fans are fans. Bird, Bird. 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 Thank you, all you fans. They got their guy. Darnold falling to the Jets. Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. That's such an upside. I think Jet fans are passionate. Brady sucks. Dolphin sucks. I want an unbeliever. Everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the Ain't Easy Being Green podcast, broadcasted to you live from beautiful, amazing, picturesque Crystal Lake Studios in Putnam Valley, New York. My name is Keith Farrell. I am joined, as always, by my colleague and co-host, live from Houston, Texas, the biggest Jet fan in the state of Texas, Michael Lagaris. Everyone, what up, everybody? Happy Thanksgiving. And let's let everyone know we are broadcasting you on the Elite Sports Radio Network. And I want to wish everybody listening to us right now a happy Thanksgiving. I want to wish the Lagaris family, Mr. and Mrs. Lagaris, your mom and dad, 
Tabitha Matcha Brother, all the wonderful Garrises, all the little seedlings running around there in Texas. Michael, I want to wish them a happy Thanksgiving as well. Oh, thank you so much, and happy Thanksgiving to your family, to your sister, your father, mother, to all of your family and friends, man. I hope you guys have a great time. There's a lot to be thankful for, Keith. Yeah, and most importantly, my dog Juno, of course, oh, who's absolutely. the number one the greatest member of my family. Dog. The greatest yes. dog of all time. We don't have to get into that. Probably one of the top three to four dogs on the planet right now. Now, Mike, coming on, we have something to be thankful for, and that was that game we saw Monday night. Now, wow. sitting back, sitting back here, Mike, as Jet fans in our world. What we've witnessed this year offensively and how our team's kind of gone, to sit down and watch that game between the Chiefs and the Rams, high-powered offenses, talented running backs, talented wide receivers, amazing young quarterbacks. There was no defense played. 478 yards for Patrick Mahomes, six touchdowns. 413 yards for Jared Goff, four touchdowns. 14 total touchdowns in the game. Mike, the game was insane. Third most points ever scored in the history of the NFL. What do you think about it? Was it free to you? Some people are saying, Mike, it was the greatest regular season game of all time. For you, a game with 100, 105 points scored, excuse me, like this game. To you, is that a good game, a bad game? Is it one of the greatest games ever? Where do you fall on that, Mike? I was very entertained. Um, I was a little bit... I'm not going to say that it was the greatest game I ever saw. Because it was kind of like a flag football-ish type game, if you want to say, but it was extremely entertaining. But one of the things, as a selfish Jet fan, I thought about was an article that uh, Robbie Sabo on the Elite Sports Network uh, actually highlighted. And he, in his article, he says, New York Jets head coach Todd Bowles' outdated NFL philosophy has become highlighted due to the Rams and Chiefs' Monday Night Football spectacular performance. I, and you go in and you read the article and you see how you saw what you saw on Monday Night Football. You saw the way these offensive coordinators were able to dial up all of these exotic schemes and, and scheming players open. And you saw the creativity and the genius behind it. And it was really an amazing thing to see. But then you go and look at Todd Bowles and you go ahead and look what the New York Jets do. And it really, like, Robbie in Robbie's article, it highlights, it's outdated. It's very Absolutely. outdated. Absolutely. No, it definitely is. And we don't have the talent. We're not even in the realm, talent-wise, of either of those franchises right now offensively. But what I will say is something we've said all year. We've repeated it. We've hammered it home. We've beaten the dead horse. But we'll just say it again right now, considering the game we just came off Monday night, what we saw, is that those teams don't just run conventional plays over and over again, even with all the talent they have. Right. They have all this tremendous talent, and they get super creative, and that's why they're so effective when you don't really have a talent like we have or you're in a situation with Sam where you want to maybe put him in the best situation to win. Creativity matters so much. Thinking outside the box, not being bland and running the same type of offense over and over again, or have your philosophy be plays close games, grind it out, try to win the game at the end, keep it low scoring. That's not the NFL anymore. Uh, we've been no. dressed anymore. It's a whole different league now, and that's never been more apparent than Monday night. I mean, Mike, the first quarter had 20 points, second quarter, 36 points, third quarter, 24 points, the fourth quarter, 35 points. It's just, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy the amount of points that were scored. You just, And you're just seeing these teams go up and down the field. And to me, it was entertaining, but at the same time, no defense. And you're like, wow. No defense. Um, NFL definitely has changed, but it doesn't, it, it just seems like this year, more than ever, and there's been rule changes, I get it, but... This is, like they've said, the cliche, this is what we saw Monday night, is the new NFL, 
and the Jets seem to be still stuck in the old NFL. Yeah, that's right. And Jared Goff is such a great example of what a young quarterback can do when put in the right scheme and situation. I, there's some of these throws that Jared Goff made that kind of leave you scratching your head, but McVay seems to know his quarterback and understand his weaknesses and strengths, and he schemes and plays and calls plays so that the quarterback is successful and he has been very successful ever since he's taken over. I mean, you go ahead and look at some of these stats spread across both of these teams. Cooks had 107 yards, receiving eight receptions. Reynolds had 80 yards, six receptions. Woods had four catches, 72 yards. And then on Kansas City side, Tyreek Hill had 215 yards, 10 receptions. Kelsey, the tight end, 10 receptions, 127 yards. Uh, Connolly, seven receptions, 74 yards so they spread the ball around they were able to to find all of their targets and uh it was a very very entertaining game like you said there really wasn't a lot of defense now we did see donald go nuts we did see some interceptions we did see some strip sacks but as far as defensive schemes and actually being able to force three and outs and force teams to try to go ahead and and and, and change some of the ways they were playing um you know, defensively, we really didn't see any change from the first half to the second half, so to your point. But uh, from an entertainment standpoint, look, Keith, this is where the NFL has gone. This is where they've been trying to go. The competition committee, the coaches, the, the commissioner, the owners, they have all have been pushing the sport in a direction where you're able to see what you saw on Monday night, and they believe that that is what's going to draw in more eyes to see the games. And they're probably right, because it was one of the highest ratings they've had on Monday Night Football in quite a while. Yeah, and let me just say one other thing. Uh, Jason Witten made a good comment, very good comment during the game. Um, as we were watching this uh, scoring bonanza, he mentioned in baseball, uh, you know, you have a 162-game season. You already know the teams that are going to be good because... Uh, some of the teams have a very high payroll and you already know the teams that are going to make the postseason. NBA, you already know the teams that are going to win that as well. You have the whole season, but really why watch when you know who's going to be in the playoffs and you know who's going to probably end up winning, right? But football, football is just extremely entertainment. Any week, any game you could put on and, and the product is a good product to watch. And no other sport really uh, in this country, as far as a season's perspective is, is as entertaining or nowhere near on the same level as the NFL. Yeah, there's no argument for me with that. I mean, the NFL, considering the 16-game schedule, how much every single game means, it just it's so much vested in every game for every team that you know it creates uh, emotion in the fan base, a lot of emotion at home when you're watching. Even if it's a team you're not rooting for. Like like this weekend when the Jets had a bye. Uh, was my birthday this Sunday. Unfortunately, Jets were on a bye. So I sat down. I watched a ton of football. I uh, did many other things and celebrated with the family. But, you know, got to see a lot of different teams maybe I wouldn't watch normally when the Jets are playing, Mike. Or if I'm out there at the game, I'm out at MetLife Stadium. And you just see. I mean, football is the type of sport where... It could be the Browns and the Cardinals, and if it's on and you're at a bar drinking a few beers, you're looking over and you're like, oh, you know, watch this game. It's the fourth quarter, 17-14 in that game. You're locked in. Yeah. And it's, two, and it's two teams you don't really care about, and they're not maybe that good of teams, but there's still the, the, the level of play and the entertainment level in the NFL is, is, you know, it's second to none when it comes to sports right now. Second to none. I remember a couple years ago, just as an example, uh, being at a bar watching my Jets and looking over and everybody was all around this Denver-Miami game. And I'm like, what is everything? And it was the start of Tim Tebow. 
and it was just key. Every week, people were just locked in to see what Tebow was going to do in the fourth quarter because he'd be trashed the whole game, and then the fourth quarter, he would just go running. And it was just incredible to me how the draw, and, and of course, Tebow didn't play again, but I'm just saying just the draw that one can make. Michael Vick yep. did the same thing. Uh, Tom Brady, when he threw all those touchdowns that year, you know, obviously uh, the year that they went and lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl, everybody was locked in there with Randy Moss and Tom Brady and what they were going to do. And we're seeing right now with Patrick Mahomes throwing touched five, six touchdowns a game. I mean, this kid is... This, this kid is just, I've never seen anything like this kid, Keith. Mahomes, it's just, it's an incredible thing. And hopefully one day, you know, we were able to have a player of, of, of that caliber uh, be able to produce on our team. I mean, the only player that I remember that was really an elite player was uh, Darrell Rivas uh, while he was playing as a New York Jet. Unfortunately, that didn't end the greatest. And by the way, did you hear those Rivas comments on WFAN today, this week, Keith? I did hear those comments and some of the things that came out of his mouth, not even saying that I disagree with them. It's just ironic considering the situation. Why don't you lay it out for everyone, Mike? Go ahead. I mean, you know, he gets on WFAN and he starts bashing Todd Bowles saying that the Jets weren't ready or weren't prepared for the Buffalo Bills in that game that they ended up losing uh, to go 10-6 and six and not making the playoffs and saying that Todd Bowles pretty much didn't have the New York Jets prepared. And I just find it ironic that, that he would have the gall to say something like that when the Jets handed him one of the richest contracts in history and then he just quit halfway through the season and there's really nothing else to say about it he got his money he got his ring and that was it for him and for him to then you know quit on the Jets and take that money and then you know when it was time for him to retire you know bunch of Jet brass came to the retirement but a lot of them didn't really want to come because they know what you know Revis did and in the beginning of our podcast when we were going over the best uh, players of all time it was hard for me to even acknowledge Revis I remember you were like you left Revis off the list and emotionally like I just feel like he abandoned us but that's besides the point but then you come on WFAN unprovoked and then attack this coach what right you think you have bro yeah and also ironically enough the game in question here, if Jeff fans remember, last game of the season, uh, the first year that we had Fitzpatrick back there in 2015, at that time the Jets are 10-5, and five. we win the game, we're in the playoffs, we're in Buffalo, and all Sammy Watkins did, Sammy Watkins is not a great receiver, that, that, that's been proven by now, he's not great, and all he did was burn Revis the entire day. Destroyed. Okay, I think he had 11 catches, 120-something yards. All I saw Darrell Reeves do was just play off Sammy Watkins because he didn't want to get burned and just get killed on 10-yard routes the entire day. That was probably the worst game I've ever seen him play as a Jet. And yeah. that's the game, ironically enough, because his ego is that big, I guess, that he, and we're not, neither of us are saying that Todd Bowles is some great coach. We want him to be fired. Right. I'm not saying that, Mike. We're not getting it twisted here. Um, Todd Bowles didn't adjust in that game at all the entire game. I remember watching from home. I remember being frustrated when I watched. However, Darrell Rivas, Hall of Famer, uh, the type of contract you have, it just it just seems like, to me, that's more him trying to repair a game everyone remembers, stands out as a horrible game for him. All Jet fans remember it. 
Sammy Watkins, who's gone on to do nothing his entire career, burned Darrell Rivas that day the entire day. You know, so it just seems funny to me that that's the game that he decides to call bowls out for and say they're unprepared. Um, and maybe they were I, I, I'll tell you, going I, I, living in Houston uh, that year, I remember, I was at the Houston Jets game. And I was there with my father um, and my wife, and I had my jet stuff on. And I tell you, Houston fans are class act. They really are class act. Because if I, whenever I walked into an enemy territory with jets on, you know, I, you know, you get harassed. But those guys, they didn't say anything to me. I was pretty surprised. And I sit down, and I'm like, all right, you know. And I remember it like yesterday. DeAndre Hopkins, and this is before DeAndre Hopkins was DeAndre Hopkins. Burn Darrell Revis for like a 60-something yard touchdown. I think Fitzpatrick actually threw it. And I was like, what? Like, that was the first sign where I was like, what's up with this cat? And then the next game, they played the Bills, I think it was. It was the Bills or Marquise Goodwin. Marquise Goodwin was on the Bills, right? I think it was the first Bills game. And Marquise Goodwin burned Revis. And I'm like, yo, there's something wrong here. And he just continued to just have one of the worst years any cornerback has ever had. And it was sad, man. And he he knows what he did. And and it's just, to me, that's not the type of person you want to be where you are not someone who's sitting there shining pretty and then you try to kick another man when he's down. And like you said, I want top balls gone too. But when I heard that on WFAN this week, I really <laughs> took a step back like, really, dude? Wow. Darrell Rivas did go ahead and go to the Patriots, get his ring. Uh, that's who we line up against this weekend, Michael. Now, the Patriots, as we know, are the hated rival of the Jets, a team that was absolutely pathetic franchise until 2001 when Mo Lewis crushed Drew Bledsoe's chest in and Tom Brady walked into a game and come back and uh, led them on a comeback versus the Jets to win that Sunday. I happened to be at the, at the stadium that day, Mike. Not my fondest memory of starting that horrible franchise down the path they've been on. But little does everybody know, I mean, Michael Agaris is probably one of the best people I know. One of the most forgiving people I know. Um, he lives his life in a wonderful Christian way. However, there is one thing, one team, one franchise I know on this planet he does actually hate and despise. And that is the New England Patriots. Now we all know the Patriots are a cheating franchise, and that does sound like spilled milk when you're talking to a Jet fan, a Bills fan, a Dolphin fan, we're in the division, we're their rival. However, Mike, this is not that type of situation. I think some of the things the Bills have done, some of the links they've gone to when it comes to cheating, been caught red-handed more than one time. I think some of the things have been forgotten by people. We live in a society now where you can be a degenerate, horrible person, and society forgives you, we're, we're that type of society, I guess, you can even be, even be elected to office in theory, uh, Mike, but we want to let everybody know, Michael wants to run through, remind these Jet fans what we're getting into this weekend, remind them of all the cheating ways of the Patriots and what they've had to do, their underhanded tactics, they've had to go to, to get to the place they are now, which is looked at as one of the best franchises in the NFL, when really the underbelly, the seedy underbelly, Michael, is that of cheating, deception and lies absolutely and every football fan should understand the history of the new england patriots beginning this century century started all of a sudden they started having success 
there's some things that correlate to that success. Now, I'm not sure if anybody had gone into ESPN. There's a great article called Spygate Spy to Deflategate, Inside What Split the NFL and Patriots Apart, written by Seth Wickersham. Now, I've gone through this article, and it's one of the most in-depth and great pieces to see the perspective of what actually happened since the year 2000. Now, before we get into the timeline, I want to give a little history on Bill Belichick's history. He was hired as the coach of the Browns in 1991. When he was, he hired this man called Ernie Adams to be a consultant of sorts. Ernie really did whatever he really wanted to do. Statistical analysis, scouting strategy. When on the Browns, okay, when on the Browns, Ernie uh, gave a video staffer at direction of Bill Belichick an NFL Films t-shirt. You know those, you know the NFL Films, you know? Yep. And they, yeah, gave him an NFL t-shirt and assigned him to film the opponent's sidelines, huddles, and grease boards from the bench, right? And the, the, the idea that Bill Belichick and Adams had and shared, according to many who work with them, is that the league is lazy and incompetent. So why not push every boundary possible? So this was the first in, in on the Browns, he, you know, this was this type of garbage was already taking place. He ended up losing his job in 1995, and then uh, he came was hired by the New England Patriots in 2000 after he had spurned the Jets. And we learned from the history that Bill Belichick very much hated the Jets, and I'm not sure exactly what went on there to why he hates the Jets so much. But when he did come to New England, he brought that guy Ernie Adams again. And he was the football research director, the only person with that title in the entire league. <laughs> now, what was this title again? Can you please repeat that, Michael? His title was football research director. Oh, and that is that is one of the most fugazi titles I have ever heard. Immediately should raise eyebrows when you hear that. <laughs> That's right. In August 2000, this is where it all began. Before a Patriots preseason game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the head coach... Uh, at uh, New England's video department, uh, the guy who's in charge of New England's video department, Matt Walsh, uh, got a strange assignment. Belichick wanted Walsh to film the Bucks' offensive and defensive signals, the arm waving and hand folding that the team coaches use to communicate plays and formations to men on the field. The Patriots, once learning this, created a novel spying system that made them to code, decode and become more dependable on that decoding. So here's, here's what they did in a nutshell so that everyone could understand kind of how really this entire system worked. Um, the Bucks game was actually, the Bucks were actually their first opponent of the regular season that year. So before the game, Bill Belichick ordered John Fries, which was the backup quarterback, into his office, into his office with Charlie Weiss and Ernie Adams. And days before the Tampa Bay game in Belichick's office, he told the backup quarterback uh, that the Patriots had some of the buck signals. He instructed the backup quarterback to memorize them during the game, to watch the Bucks defensive coordinator, Monte Kiffin, and tell Weiss defensive plays, uh, which Weiss would then relay over the radio headset to quarterback Drew Bledsoe. So understand this, Keith. This is this, Now, this is in the beginnings, right? Drew Bledsoe is sitting uh, uh, in the huddle, and... Charlie Weiss is telling him, hey, the Bucks are going to do this. 
So you do, and the quarterback knows, okay, well, they're gonna be running this play, so then I'm gonna counter it with this. So now the Patriots realized that they were onto something and a schematic edge that nobody else really had, um, and they became more efficient at it, increasing their efficiency, it minimized the confusion. The system improved, becoming more streamlined and more secretive. The quarterbacks were then cut out of the process. The only people who were involved were a few coaches, the video staff, and of course, Adams and Belichick. And almost five years after being fired by the Browns, Belichick had created this, this seamless system where they were able to get all of the defense defensive calls and be able to relay them to the starting quarterback while he was out there to go manipulate the offense. And think about this, Mike. Back then, back in those times with the Patriots, those were the teams that everyone would say, wow, look how look at Bill Belichick and how well he's able to use this talent, which doesn't look like it's top-level talent, and just seem like he knows the plays of the other team. It seems like this defense knows what they're going to do. It seems like the offense is a step ahead because of Bill Belichick and his mind and all of his acumen when it comes to being a coach, when in reality, all they were doing was what they do in the major leagues that they've been trying to do for 100 years is stealing the other team's signs, uh, which, I mean, maybe other teams should have noticed it, and if they didn't, maybe shame on them, but knowing what knowing what the rules are, purposely trying to skirt them to gain yourself an advantage seemed to be something that started in 2000, Mike, and became a trend for the New England Patriots these next 18 years. Oh, my. An entire system of covert videotaping was developed and a secret library was created. But do you think that the, the videotaping was the only thing that they did as the era kept going and they were beginning to build their dynasty, advanced scouts would attend the games of upcoming Patriot opponents and assemble a spreadsheet of all the signals and corresponding plays. The findings would be given to Adams and he would spend most of the week in his office with the door closed matching notes and taped films from the sidelines. Files were created and organized by, by, organized by opponent and each coach. Now, um, taping of the signals wasn't even the most effective cheating method for the Patriots. During pregame warm-ups, Keith, this, this, is, this gets my blood just outrageous. During pregame warm-ups, a low-level Patriots employee would sneak into the visitor's locker room and steal the play sheet, listening to the first 20 or so scripted plays for the offense's uh, opposing team's offense. This practice would become notorious for the for the New England Patriots as they went as they went on and on. Numerous former employees say that the Patriots would have someone rummage through the visiting team's hotel for playbooks or scouting reports. Th these are just some of the other, few other examples. Uh, or I'm sorry, uh, these are some of the many other examples of what the New England Patriots did to try to get an edge over their opponents. Can you believe what you just said? I can. People are going into other locker rooms to get play sheets. People are rummaging through garbage cans outside of outside of hotels to get playbooks and, and take a scrap of information that could help them. Now, someone else might say to you, well... What's wrong with that? If, it, if they say, if it's not in the rules, then technically what's wrong? But when you say that, you know that morally that's ridiculous. And people try to make this own, people try to make this deal with themselves. Well, hey, hey, it's not in the rules. It's not in the rules. And of course, that means I can do it. Well, that, that's not really how it works, is it, Mike? Because you know what you're doing is giving yourself a competitive advantage, not with 
not with just looking at videotape and figuring it out and using your mind, but by cheating. That's right. Uh, Patriots, uh, hold on a second. Uh, okay, now, the cheating was widespread, and here's the thing. The NFL and the other coaches, it's funny you said that before about uh, did the other coaches know. This was known in the NFL. A former member of the NFL competition committee says that the committee spent much of 2001 to 2006 discussing ways in which the Patriots cheated. Even if nothing could be proved, it reached a level of paranoia with conspiracy theories just going crazy. The notion that bugging locker rooms or that Brady had a second frequency in his helmet to decipher defenses was not out of the possibility, man. There were well, even Michael, I mean Tomlin, all these different coaches, different players have said they go they would go to Foxborough, magically headsets don't work. <laughs> well they can't get their signals in all of a sudden. The Patriots headsets are fine. But yeah. the, the away team's headsets don't work. Yeah, and now here, now check this out. Before the season in 2006, a rule was proposed to allow radio communications to one defensive player on the field and as was already allowed for the quarterbacks. If it had passed, defensive signals would no longer be necessary. It failed in 2007. Do you know why? Bill Belichick voting against it. I wonder why Bill Belichick did that, right? Several former Patriot coaches insist the spying helped them most against less sophisticated teams. The Dolphins and the Bills were the chief among them. The coaches never changed their signals ever, so it was easy for the Patriots to just steal their signals and destroy those franchises every time they played them. It's hilarious. Oh my god. <laughs> I read that he said no. <laughs> now imagine you, if you're a Bills or a Dolphins culture in that era and you read that, you just want to bang your head through the wall. You're just like, oh, really? that's why we were losing so bad. You probably had less talent anyway. Yeah, and also you never changed up what you did, so they played you one game, they knew what to do. By the time they played you the second time, you probably got annihilated. Exactly, exactly. And, th and this is what they were doing. Now, many of the coaches regretted not doing it, not doing anything, but one day a coach did do something about it. Coach Mangini was Eric Mangini was a underling of Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick brought him in, uh, saw some, some really good attributes about him, and when the Jets offered Mangini a job, after he was the defensive coordinator for the New England Patriots, Eric took the job. And according to reports, Bill Belichick hates the Jets. He doesn't even mention them. When he, he when Adrian talking about it, he doesn't like even saying the name of the Jets. So when Eric took the job, he removed his key access card to the building. Are you Are you what? kidding? Son removed his key access. He was so tight at this cat. Now now the Mangini knew the Patriots were doing the videotape. He already knew this. Before the 2007 opener, sources say he warned various Patriots staffers, we know you do this. Do not do it in our house. Tannenbaum, who declined to comment, told team security to remove any unauthorized cameramen on the field. During the first half, the jet security monitored the Patriots cameramen who held, who wore a polo shirt with a taped over Patriots logo and under a red media vest. With the backing of Woody Johnson and Tannenbaum, Jet Security alerted NFL Security, right? And they went at halftime and they encircled the man whose name was Estrella. 
and took him inside. They took him into a small room of the stadium, confiscated the camera and tape, and made him wait. He was sweating. Someone gave him a glass of water. He was so nervous that he spilled it all over the place. <laughs> oh, I wonder why. You underhanded guy. Now, it's so funny that after all these years, now from 2000 to 2006, they managed to tape all of these games. Uh, and the team that blew the whistle on them was the New York Jets. That's correct. And he, the worst part about all of this is what happened with the NFL punishment. Now, Belichick explained that he had misinterpreted the rule. The commissioner wasn't buying that. But the commissioner hit, hit them really quickly with the fine. And... They said, oh, we only had eight games taped. And every a lot of, of people around the league didn't believe it, believe that. So there was uh, some really big blowback about that. And a lot of the Super Bowls were in question uh, up from the, the Rams Super Bowl, where there's a walkthrough looked at, uh, the Eagles, the, the Panthers. There's a lot of excerpts in this article that talk about how the Patriots were able to just move down the field against the the Eagles dime package where no one had ever seen that dime package before and they just walked right went right through that defense also Marshall Falk uh, returning punts he had never returned a punt at all during the season it was a, a sneak play that they the, the Rams were going to do in the Super Bowl and the Patriots were somehow ready for Marshall Falk to return punts how do you explain all of that um, Marshall Falk now just if anyone wants to go out and spend a couple minutes, he's still mad about it. Oh, yeah. He's still mad about it. Oh, yeah. Still tight about it, Marshall Falk. And they had no business beating the Rams in that game. And it did seem like they knew what they were doing the whole time. So when we finally heard that information, most people will go, oh, that makes sense now, Mike. That's that's correct. And what ended up happening, Arlen Specter, who is the Pennsylvania senator, he ended up... Uh, really investigating in the NFL and digging deeper into this and Roger Goodell just didn't want to deal with it at all because he and Kraft were boys and Kraft was, makes the decisions with a couple of other owners on how much he gets and all the monies and everything like that so he, they just wanted to leave it to where, where it was uh, but this senator kept digging and digging and digging and digging and finally he decided to go talk to Matt Walsh and Walsh told him, Spectre turned to the alleged videotaping of the Rams walkthrough. Walsh confessed that after the Patriots team picture, he and at least three other team videographers lingered around the Louisiana Superdome setting up cameras for the game. Suddenly, the Rams arrived and started their walkthrough. The three videographers in full Patriots apparel hung around on the field in the stands for 30 minutes. Nobody said anything. Walsh said he observed star Rams running back Marshall Falk line up in unusual positions as a kickoff returner. That night, Walsh reported that when he had seen seen to Patriots assistant coach Brian Dabble, who asked an array of questions about the Rams' formations, Walsh said that Dabble, who declined through the Patriots to comment for the story, drew a series of diagrams and knew all of the plays that the Rams were going to walk through. So Walsh admitted to Arlen Specter that this happened. What gets me mad is that when Alan Spector called for a congressional investigation, like the one that went into baseball and going into the um, 
you know, the steroid era, the Goodell didn't want anything to do with that, and he convinced all the other owners, we don't want an investigation, it's going to destroy the league. He called Mike Martz and asked him and begged him, please write a letter of confidence saying that we have all the tapes and, and everything. And what's crazy is the NFL destroyed the tapes that the Patriots turned over to them. Not because, only, but the NFL went to Foxborough, got all the tapes, yep. and then stomped them all out into little pieces. Yeah. Because Which they didn't because they, say it's it crazy. doesn't sound like it's real, but actually did happen. Now think about that. They took the evidence of what this team did, how they probably cheated for multiple Super Bowl and multiple games throughout this span, and they stomped the evidence into a million pieces. Why would they ever do that? It's just it's it's sad and because of the prop, the thought of an investigation into the NFL and all the dirt that could be found, the NFL and all of its owners stood united and there wasn't a larger investigation that was to go in and who knows what they would have found. But what, one thing to take away from this is that has cheating happened in the past? Absolutely. But this system that the Patriots had going all these years no team had ever done anything this sophisticated or ever had gone to the lengths of cheating the way the New England Patriots did. And the craziest part about it is they didn't stop. All those years later, what happened with in, against the Indianapolis Colts, the footballs weren't the correct uh, PSI. And Tom Brady, when he knew that the investigator asked him to turn over his phone after he was given the ask, Tom Brady, please turn over your cell phone so that we can go ahead and review all of the texts and calls that you made. He destroys the phone. Listen, I, I, I want to talk to every single Patriot fan out there. Your team cheated. Your quarterback lies. Your coach is a deceiver. And you have five Super Bowls, but there is an asterisk next to that, those Super Bowls. And there always will be an asterisk next to those Super Bowls. And like I said on this podcast once before, the reason that that asterisk is there is because of two reasons. One, because your team is the most disgusting, is, it, is absolutely a, you guys are despicable, one of the worst franchises in the history of sports. But the second reason why you have an asterisk there is because of the New York Jets. And I want you to know that for all times, that asterisk is there because we let everybody know how disgusting your team is. Well, yeah, and Mike, you know what I wanted to mention in, in regards to Spygate, which you did detail for everybody uh, wonderfully there, is that the New England Patriots got caught red-handed. And Bill Belichick did an interview on CBS where he made it seem like the videographer who was taping those games just misunderstood him, and he was just someone they fired, he was a bad employee and didn't do a good job. Um, that's what he actually said on CBS. He buried this dude, Walsh. Uh, made it seem like the guy was incompetent, had no clue. When in reality, you've hired, you hired him at two different places. You knew exactly what he was doing. He was doing it under your direction because from all intents and purposes, every single thing that goes on in that building, down to you know the type of socks that players wear, Bill Belichick decides. So there's no videographer running wild doing what he wants to do, not doing a good job that, that amount of time. Um... On his own, just a rogue guy. Just right. like, oh, I'm gonna tape. I'm gonna tape signals. I'm gonna tape. I'm gonna tape uh, grease 
boards. And I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna run in and try to grab play sheets. No one did that on their own. We, we know where that came from. Bill Belichick said, no, we made a mistake. You know, we paid for it. We got fined. You know, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> he right, should have been fired. And the thing is, Chris Keithy should have been fired. Look at what they did to Sean Payton with the whole bounty gate. They suspended him for a year. They should have fired Bill Belichick. He shouldn't be allowed to coach ever again after that crap. And he's but still what? out there coaching, and people are talking about him like, like like nothing ever happened. He is one of the most cheating. He's a disgrace to competition, Keith. A disgrace to competition. I'd rather be a Browns fan and never see my team win to ever be a fan of a team like that. And you think about it, the punishment for Spygate... Bill Belichick fined half a million, Patriots 250000 and they got docked a first-round pick in the 2008 draft for that, which is a severe penalty never before seen in the NFL. Uh, the penalty was so high, probably because Goodell told Belichick to do something about it, and he basically told him to F off and did what he wanted to do anyway. Um, but it might get into the flake gate in a second, but a few other things I want to throw in there with the Patriots when we talk about their underhandedness and their murkiness, um, and them just being basically the evil empire— you know, they've had six guys suspended for PED since 2007. Uh, that's also gone on. You had Roddy Harrison, Brandon Spikes, Jermaine Cunningham, Brandon Bolden, Rob Nikovich, and this year, Julian Edelman. Yep. Uh, they employed Dante Stallworth, who ran over someone and murdered them in Florida. Uh, vehicular homicide. They drafted and and had on their they drafted on their team and knew the problems he had, but still drafted and brought to the NFL and made a millionaire out of Aaron Hernandez. Right. Who is it? Who possibly we know murdered one person is suspected of murdering more people than that, and killed himself in jail. That is the type of team this team is. They don't care about anything besides winning. Your character as a person, they pretend matters, but does it really? When you look at the fine details of how they operate as a team and the players they have on their team, no. And then you go through these things and you say, okay, so PDs, Spygate. Uh, you know, the tuck rule happens, which doesn't happen anywhere in the world, but they get lucky, they have the tuck rule occur. And then you go through all of these things until they play the Indianapolis Colts in the playoffs. Now, if anyone has a modicum, a sliver, a, just 1% of common sense, and you caught or you suspected somebody of doing something, you say, for instance, you're like, oh my goodness, I think that my wife's cheating on me. And then you go, oh wait, here's a video of some dude leaving my house. Which they have videos of guys going to the bathroom with balls and coming out with the balls, Mike. Um, you know, they weigh these goddamn things. You're caught red-handed. Now, what I want to say to you, Mike, is if all of a sudden they start looking into an investigation and they go, Well, let me see, let me let me see if uh Tom Brady knew. In this case, in real life, you'd say, Let me see if my wife knew in this hypothetical on Just check your phone. And she took her phone and she smashed it into a hundred pieces in front of you. Would you say, I believe you? You know what you say? Wait a minute! Something seems shady. Are you like the the, the the level people have buried their heads in the sand in regard to Tom Brady's culpability with this is mind-boggling because the Jabroni ball guys that he didn't speak to apparently for six months, he had a 28-minute conversation with this dude the second Deflategate, the second Deflategate hit the press and they found out he's on the phone with this guy again. They're texting. Why? What? What are you talking about? What are you on the phone with him about? But it throws the Keith. It Keith. It throws everything into question, man. I mean, even the Atlanta Super Bowl that they were down twenty-eight to three at the half, and they ended up coming back at the second half. You know, people look at that and they say, you know, we of course we don't have any evidence of cheating or anything. But when you hear about Deflategate and Spygate and everything that this franchise has done, it makes you sit back and wonder, like, what the hell else did you guys do? What? What? Tom Brady to me. What did I just tell you about Drew, Ble Drew Bledsoe getting plays from uh, Charlie Weiss? 
Do we not think that Tom Brady didn't have uh, calls coming in to his headset about what defensive plays that he was going to see throughout the first at least five, six, seven, eight years of his career? Did we not know that? How do you think a six-round pick ends up beating a team like the Rams in the Super Bowl and actually think that that really happened, right? This guy has been getting an edge since the day he came in the NFL. He's a liar, he's a cheater. And this is not an opinion, this isn't hatred. They say, oh, you hate us because you hate us. We hate you because you cheat. Now, that's why we uh, hate Mike, you. Mike, absolutely. And you know, th that this scandal in particular, Deflategate, which Patriot fans love to act like, ah, it's not a thing. Well, you got fined a first round pick, a fourth round pick, a million dollars, and Tom Brady, Tom Brady, the god of football was suspended for four games. Now, all of those things are unprecedented. They didn't happen because you're not guilty. But plenty of evidence to show that the balls were deflated. Something was going on. There was some reason that there's ball guys going into bathrooms with official NFL footballs during games, which is unprecedented and no one's ever heard of. And also, many NFL quarterbacks, Troy Aikman included, have said that quarterbacks like to feel the balls before games. They might deflate, uh, they might inflate them or deflate them before a game starts um, a little bit. But... They get way before the game, so there's no reason for that type of drop during a game. Weather doesn't cause that. Um, it doesn't make any sense, and every NFL quarterback knows exactly how a ball feels. They've been playing this long. Yeah. For Tom Brady to claim ignorance to me, I thought was hysterical. From the Oh, no, he said, he said Brady argued that he wasn't intentionally avoiding the league's investigation when he destroyed the phone. He just destroys his phone a lot. Yeah, that was, that's where, you know, I've heard Tom Brady interview. He doesn't, he seems like a guy, good thing he's really, he, he's, I'm happy for him that he's good at football. Doesn't seem like the sharpest tool in the shed outside of football. That excuse was the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I just destroyed my phones. Yeah, that's what everybody does. Everyone I takes their old smartphones, and when they're done with them, and they get the upgrade, they look at it and they go, you know what? I could return this. I could get a credit. I could pass it on to someone else. I could save the phone in case something happens to my phone, but you know what I'll do? I'll destroy it to a thousand pieces. <laughs> who's who's buying this crap? I can't. And then the Patriot fans, they don't, oh, they don't care. You know, I, it's hard for me when they say Belichick is the greatest coach of all time and, and Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm sorry, man. Especially after I've gone through this article, man, preparing for this pod. I'm not, I will never, when Mike, when Mike, I was a young kid, I asked dad, dad, who's the best quarterback of all time? My dad said, Joe Montana. And when my kids come to me and ask me the same, I'm going to say, give them the exact same name, Joe Montana. I would never tell them that Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback. How can we? How can we seriously? Yeah. And he really did. He really did tell the NFL. He destroys his phones all the time. I mean, and it's funny because if you just give any excuse any excuse nowadays people go oh, all right well maybe you know and you're like wait a minute it's like we eliminated common sense from our thought process completely you know and uh, that i mean that and that is as everyone knows the cheating history of the new england patriots we play this sunday michael um their entire franchise to yes. me is called in question their legacy their great coach their great quarterback to me it's all fugazi and i'll never admit anything and now let's get into the game that we have coming up this weekend versus the hated New England Patriots. Alright, Mike, so, you know, we won't go through a giant game review here. We know what's coming up this weekend. We know 
that even all the talk that we just threw out there about this hatred, this cheating team, and all their underhanded tactics that we're still overmatched anyway this weekend. We just we just played a team that was the last ranked offense in the NFL, and they put up yeah. a ton of points on us, put up a ton of yards on us, made our defense look pathetic, and they shut our offense down completely. Now, the Patriots defense is not nearly as good as not nearly as good as the Buffalo Bills. They give up a ton of yards, 24th in the league, total in yards, 381 a game. Ton of passing yards, 270 yep. a game. And you could run the ball on them, 116 yards a game, team's average. So Tom Brady, the the cheater himself, the grand poobah of cheating Tom Brady, this year, obviously QB rating is decent at 94, but he's not having as good a year either. 17 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, 15th in the league in touchdowns right now, plenty of quarterbacks out playing him this year, and only 2,700 yards. So... This Patriot team, while still being much better than the Jets, they're favored by 9.5 points, they're not yeah. as good as they've been in previous years, in previous administrations. Uh, I do think we're going to lose the game. I don't know, really know how I don't know how we could win the game, but I, it might not be as bad as some people think when it comes to the final score and the outcome of the game. Well, the Jets historically always play the Patriots hard. Uh, they, I don't know what it is. I mean, even when Geno Smith was the quarterback for the Jets, I, I remember, you know, you remember this, like, the, that team would take it into the third, the fourth quarter and still be competitive. The Jets would be terrible, but against the Patriots, they always uh, stand up to fight. And I love that about this team. Uh, obviously, Mark Sanchez, who was never a great quarterback, went into Gillette Stadium, into Foxborough, and beat them on their home turf with the Jet defense for one of the greatest upsets in, in New York Jet history besides Super Bowl III. And so who knows with this team and how they're going to play on Sunday. They may try to rally around to try to get Todd Bowles his job back. I don't know. I don't think there's anything Todd Bowles can do to save his job at this point. But uh, I do believe that the Jets will be, will fight like they normally do. I really hope I don't see another performance like it was against the Bills. That came so out of left field. But... Uh, looks like McCown is probably going to get the start, like you said before. Uh, Robbie Anderson should be healthy and ready to go. Same with Quincy. Hopefully we can we can match up against some of their cornerbacks and expose their weaknesses there. Gronkowski looks like he is going to play. Um, you know, Right now, Jamal Adams is having a career year, and he leads. By the way, I don't know if you know this, Keith. Jamal Adams leads all safeties in Pro Bowl votes. And as as he should. And he was predicted, to, he was predicted by yes. us to make the Pro Bowl. Uh, in the preseason, before the season started, edition of the AEBG podcast. Now, we have Gordon playing this weekend, Gronk, Edelman, uh, Sony Michelle. They got White. Yeah. I mean, this team has a lot of weapons, and they have a lot of different ways to beat you. And, you know, I'm not really sure, considering off last week's game, Mike, with the Bills, what we're going to do to stop this offense. Uh, but, you know, hey, offense even for them this year. They're, they're seven points in 28 a game, but... 377 yards a game, passing yards 268, 108 yards rushing a game, giving them that's ninth in the league. Not, you know, as dominating of a Patriot team as they've been in the past. Luckily, they play in a division where um, the Dolphins and the Bills and the Jets are not that good of teams. If they were playing in a different division, I'm not sure what their record would be right now. My thing with the previous game, Mike, is that versus the Bills, they didn't look like they played hard. They looked like they mailed they it didn't. in. They didn't. If they come just, out, if they come yeah, out and give a similar in. effort level this weekend versus the Patriots, they're going to lose the game by 60 points. But... If they yeah. come out and, you know, I really do think defensively, our defense versus their offense, um, you know, like I just said, I mentioned a bunch of weapons they have, but Brady's hasn't been as good this year as he's been in the past. And, you know, if we can maybe early on in the game 
have the Patriots don't turn the ball over ever, really fumble it or throw interceptions. But for us to win this type of game, they're going to need a, a play on special teams. They're going to need a big-time turnover. They're going to need a, a ball to bounce in our direction or a play to go in our favor, aside from a normal realm of play. You know, maybe a couple turnovers. They pick a fumble up, they run it back. One of these type of things to get the early in the game, Mike, I think, um, is really the only way to get us going because I don't see how consistently throughout the day they'll be able to outscore the Patriots with what we have on the field. I'm not sure if Robbie Anderson's going to play. Having McCann out there uh, might be encouraging, you think, but off last week's performance as, as the offense. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I really hope if if Darnold, you know, and I, I didn't discuss this with you earlier, but I also think that that I don't know if there's a there's uh, an agenda that Todd Bowles is currently doing right now where he is turning back to where he wants his veteran quarterback to play to try to go ahead and save his job. Because from everything I hear, Sam is fine. He, he's just, you know, limited, quote-unquote. He said he's fine, too. That's his own quote. He says he can jog. Yeah, he says he's fine. And he said he was fine yeah. two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, you know, and all of a sudden he just has a boot magically on. And, you know, if that's the case, you know, with Todd Bowles, the anger that I, that I you know, and I'm just tired. I... It just will get me so, like, he needs to, if that's the case, he's sabotaging the, the growth of this quarterback for his career, and he should have been gone five, you, you know, five days Yeah, ago, so know, we got, you know, big game coming up this weekend. Uh, you know, not necessarily for the Jets season, but just, you know, for, for how we look at Todd Bowles, I guess. But like you said, Mike, win this game, lose this game, he's gone at the end of the season anyway. Uh, you know, we, you, right now, the current NFL standings, Mike, we, we have the fourth pick in the draft next season in the first round. Uh, that's not the worst thing in the world. Win or lose, forget about that for a second for the rest of the year, for these final five games, uh, once we get Sam back. Win or lose, if we can get in there and see Sam just play with an offense that gives him a little bit of time like I did at the beginning of the year, then you can kind of get a gauge on Sam and kind of get a better aspect of what, or a better projection of what you think he'll be in the future because right now I think it's a little off just because our offensive line is so bad that you haven't been able to really see what he can do because the times he's been flustered is when he's obviously played the, like most quarterbacks when there's a lot of pressure on you you're not going to play well with rookies Mike that, that's even that's an even higher level usually they don't play well when there's a lot of pressure on them and Sam's past two games I'm not going to judge him by those two games because they're absolutely horrible games He's played um, much yeah. better games throughout the season, and I would I would have loved to have seen him in there this weekend. But we're gonna have McCown in there. It's Thanksgiving. We'll deep fry the turkey in the parking lot on Sunday, Mike. Maybe possibly a few yes, cold sir. ones are gonna go down, and I'll be in my section 301, representing as always the AEBG podcast and all Jet fans, as we should, guys. If you have tickets, if you love this team, still go out there, cheer, yell, Jets chant. We don't have to body slam any Patriot fans, but definitely do not take it easy on them either. Okay, there's a thin line there. We don't have to get nuts, doesn't have to get violent, doesn't have to get totally crazy. We can respect one another, yet still make sure they know this is our house, win or lose, even if we're bad, you're coming into our stadium. And I want everyone to know that at all times. And that's that's my uh, PSA for everyone, to keep it safe, keep it, keep the love out there at the stadium, and still at the same time make sure they know that this is the house of the green. It's another amazing edition in the books of the AEBG podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening and supporting us, tweeting at us, giving us likes on Facebook, all that good stuff on social media. And Michael, if anyone does want to do that, if they want to contact you, they want to contact me, they want to contact our show producers, our interns, or anyone of that nature, where is it they can do that? 
Well, you can find us on the Elite Sports Radio Network. You can also find us on SoundClouds and iTunes. Please follow us on Facebook at AEBG.JetsRadio, on Twitter at AEBG underscore NYJ Podcast, and on Instagram at Jet.AEBG. You heard the man. On behalf of my colleague, Michael Lagaris, I am Keith Farrell. This is the AEBG Podcast. We'll get at you next week. Peace out. Are you ready? The New York Jets will beat anybody in the world, and I think we're going to win next Sunday. The New York Jets. I think Jeff fans, Jeff fans, 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 fans are very passionate. Bird, Bird. Thank you, all you fans. They got their guy. Darnold falling to the Jets. Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. That's such an upside. I think Jeff fans are very passionate. Brady sucks. Don't be the sucks. I want a number leaver.